This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 499. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, April 21st, 2021, and I am your host, Jacob Paulson, and I am also joined today by Matthew Merrister. Greetings, sir. Matthew's the guy who can't spell my last name right. It's S-E-N, oh. Matthew. Yeah, it's O. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so, no, I, it, it is E-N. <laughs> you put O-N in our outline, and I fixed it to E-N. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> I do know your name. <laughs> Everybody spells it wrong, so you're, you're really quite forgiven. But in case anyone's writing us emails, you if you address it to me, you should put E-N. I'll, I'll feel better about <laughs> life. Uh, but it's okay. I'm quite used to it. And not only do people butcher my last name, but I get called Jason quite yeah. often. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of the stories. Yeah. So at least you don't call me Jason. That's good. Um, Riley is not here today. Riley is under the weather, basically. So this makes five episodes in a row sans Riley, mm-hmm. which might be a record in the 500 something, 499 episodes we've recorded of this podcast. Yeah. So. What you don't know is if he's ever coming back or not, you know? We, know. we say he is. We claim he's coming back, but it's five in a row. <laughs> you know, we keep saying he'll be back next time. So anyway, today's going to be a good episode. I'll just tease you that we're going to make a, a really big deal announcement here in just a moment uh, about you know, a big giveaway and some things coming up with episode number 500 because 500 is kind of a big deal. And today we're going to be covering legislative updates, changes to the law in lots of different states. We're going to talk about you know, Montana, Utah, Tennessee, Iowa, Kansas, uh, West Virginia, Wyoming, Idaho. Yeah, I might have mentioned them all. So we got lots of stuff happening at the state level right now. Tis the season for legislative updates. This is the time when the legislatures are, are meeting and passing and voting on laws. Governors are signing stuff. So we got a lot going on. First, mm-hmm. our sponsors. Today's sponsors, America, or American Ammo Supply Warehouse, ASW, as we call it. So AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. You know, ammo's hard right now. So I'm not saying that this website's some magic bullet that's magically going to have a bunch of ammo available at you know pre-2020 prices. But we continue to think that they are one of the best resources online to get ammunition at one of the best prices you can find. So please continue to check out AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com for your ammunition needs. Also, today's episode brought to you by ReadyUpGear.com. ReadyUpGear is a relatively new brand, one with which we are closely associated, and we like them and their products. they got a lot of really affordable, high-quality products So check out their Range Ruck backpack or the Laser Dot training cartridge, the Roger 22 earmuffs. Man, those are really solid earmuffs. Go over to readyupgear.com and check it out today. Oh, look right there. Matthew's got his Roger 22s. Yeah. Yep, yep. They're good earmuffs. What can I say? Mm -hmm. Okay, folks, let's go ahead and get into our legislative updates. So we're going to start in the state of Tennessee. And this happened toward the end of March. So we haven't covered it on the podcast. But the deal is... Tennessee is the third state this year to pass and sign into law constitutional carry. Give us the details, Matthew. Yeah, so um, 
like you said, this happened back at, towards the end of March. Um, basically, you know, it's permitless constitutional carry, just like you think. You don't need a permit to carry a, a, a concealed handgun in Tennessee any longer. Um, th- what an interesting twist to this that might have gone overlooked is um, the law is also going to grant the same constitutional or uh, same constitutional carry laws to active duty military members 18 to 20 years old. And that's important because, you know, typically you need to be 21 to possess a, a handgun. So this is pretty, pretty, um, pretty good news for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Tennessee, if you're 21 plus, you can carry a concealed gun without a permit once this law goes into effect, which mm-hmm. will be, I think, July 1st. Yeah. So on July 1st, this law goes into effect. So effective July 1st, 2021, Anyone 21 older who's not prohibited from possessing firearms can, you know, legally carry a concealed handgun without a permit. But to your point, additionally, above and beyond that, active duty military from the ages of 18 to 20 can also carry a concealed handgun without a permit, effective July 1st in Tennessee. Right. And a caveat to that is probably that you're going to, I haven't read the the exact wording uh, verbiage of the law, but uh, probably have to have some sort of uh, documentation that you're active duty, like your active duty, um, uh, you know, military ID with you. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's a fair yeah. assumption. No. Yeah. Otherwise they're like, yo, bro, you're 19. <laughs> you're like, yeah, but I'm active duty military. I'm like, prove it. like, uh, crap. So right. Sounds like a good idea. Right, right. All right. Then we got to bounce over to Iowa with a very similar announcement. Iowa also signed constitutional carry into law, and it also becomes effective on July 1st. Anything else uh, that's noteworthy about Iowa, Matthew? Just that it's the fourth state this year. So um, it's crazy that we're in, you know, towards the end of April, but four states already have passed constitutional carry laws which is, you know, um, if you look at percentage wise or, you know, the frequency, that is, that's crazy. Um, And, you know, we, I think it was Josh wrote an article a while back on the website, um, kind of basically saying, you know, constitutional carry that this big push for constitutional carry laws um, is kind of showing that if even all these polls that say, you know, um, that you see on the news, more people want gun reform and they want gun legislation and stuff. But by and large, the the undertone is people want to be able to carry their firearm legally. And as long as they're legal, legal law abiding citizens don't want to have to pay uh, the government to do so. Um, so th- this is it's pretty substantial, I think. Yeah, it is a big deal. So for those who are wanting some numbers, uh, at the beginning of this year, there were 16 states that had constitutional carry in place. I'm going to read those off here in just a moment. Since January 1st of this year, we've had four new states pass constitutional carry laws. One of those will go into effect on May 1st, one on June 1st, and two on July 1st. Those states are Montana, Utah, Tennessee, and Iowa. So... Taking it from 16 to 20 states, you know, I'm not very good at math, Matthew. It's not my strong suit. But 20 out of 50 is good, easy math. That's 40%. Mm -hmm. So 40% of the states in our country, uh, and I don't know how that would represent in terms of square miles. That would be an interesting analysis. Mm. But 40% of the states, or population for that matter, 40% of the states in our country 
think it's it's totally awesome sauce that you should be able to carry around a gun without a permit concealed on your person. And that's pretty crazy. I'm going to quickly read off the states for those who are interested. The following are states that today already have constitutional carry in place. Those states are Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Maine, Mississippi, Missouri, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Vermont, West Virginia, and Wyoming. And they all have varying degrees or styles. In some cases, it's restricted to only residents. In other cases, you know, anyone in the state, regardless if they're a resident or not, um, sometimes, you know, certain age restrictions, et cetera. But, but those are the 16 states that before this year began already had constitutional carry. And now by July 1st, we'll take it up by four more. So 40% of the country is kind of a big deal. And, you you know, I, th- I think that, you know, Josh was right when he penned that article and said, hey, isn't this like evidence that a bunch of people don't want all this gun control that you claim from your surveys that Americans support and want? Now, uh, the argument could be made that maybe Americans think that you should be able to walk around with a concealed gun without a permit, but then they still want background checks or some other BS, you know, gun control. Maybe, but it seems unlikely. What's What's definitely true is this. At least 40% of this country, uh, you know, in terms of a majority of the, the voter populace, feels like you should be able to have a gun on you to defend yourself. That seems pretty clear. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Um, Texas is also debating uh, constitutional yeah. carry right now. And so if they were to pass that, that would be another one. I don't think it'll actually happen in Texas. But I am pretty disheartened by a petition of of sorts that was signed by a large number of firearm instructors in Texas who are against the uh, constitutional carry legislation. It's for one, every time we every time a state does this, we see this happen. There's always Mm -hmm. instructors who are going on the news and saying, oh, my goodness, you know, we we can't do this. People need training. Heaven forbid they'd be walking off the gun and not have any training. And while clearly we're advocates for training. We're not advocates for restricting constitutional rights by, you know, requiring training to some arbitrary, you know, degree and amount mm-hmm. and effectively putting a tax, both in terms of time and money on people in order to exercise that constitutional right. And I find it hard to believe that any instructor who says they're pro second amendment, but also says that person should have to pay money and obtain a license from the government in order to carry a concealed gun needs to reevaluate you know, what, what they claim to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know we've covered this, you know, through um, content pieces we've written and other times on the podcast, but it's always, I always like to kind of, um, I hate the word circle back now, but um, come back around and address like this, because, you know, a lot of people will think, okay, you have a concealed carry website and you put training out. Um, you must support, um, mandatory concealed carry uh, licenses and things. And I'll tell you, and I'm sure it's same for you or um, Jacob and, and other instructors that like when you're in a class um, and I've told students, Hey, I'm not a huge fan of mandatory concealed carry laws. And like a lot of times people's eyes get like really big, like what, what are you talking about? Right. And I'm just in to your point. And I, I think it's also like important. I think just to kind of mention this while we're on the subject of constitutional carry is that like, just be, it, I, I think that sometimes 
the license itself kind of makes people think that they've somehow attained some um, standard of, you know, hey, I'm safe now. I, I have what's necessary to conceal carry and win every gunfight and I'm, I'm safe. And if, if not, then the, the government would have, it wouldn't have issued me this license. And I think that, you know, these instructors that come out and say, um, you know, it, without, con- without mandatory training, people will uh, be shooting people and have all kinds of problems and things. And I think, I think the inverse can also be true if we're giving people a false sense of a standard that um, is met. And if you actually break down these these standards that most of the states have for training, it's it's almost just a basic safety course, which is great. um, But it has nothing actually to do with concealed carry. So or or self-defense. So. yeah, I'm huge on training. Obviously, I, I, I think it's super important. I, I, I don't think that that's a secret, but forcing somebody to pay money and jump through certain hoops and do these things, um, especially in states that have open carry already, makes it, to me, it seems silly that I can open carry a gun without a permit. But if I put a shirt over top of it, now I need the government's permission. So, yeah. I have some strong feelings about this too, uh, most of which I share in episode 50. So Mm. if you go back 349 episodes ago, you can hear how I feel about the concept of mandatory training. I think it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, Guys, think of it this way. If we have 20 states that say you don't need a permit to carry a concealed gun, and then add to that the list of states that uh, you do need a permit to carry, but you don't need any training to get the permit. Sure. Indiana. Pennsylvania, Georgia. Uh, those are the three that immediately come to my mind. Mm-hmm. So if you add those three, now that's 23 states where no training is required to carry a concealed handgun. That's almost half the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, show me the data. Because this is not a new concept. You know, I mean, Vermont, Vermont's been doing this since 1793. <laughs> so... You know, like, <laughs> some of these states have been doing constitutional carry for a very long. Oh, Leo says West Virginia. Okay, there we go. There's 24. So, so like, if, if this was seriously a problem, you'd have some data you could show me, some research or study that shows that people walking around with guns without receiving any formal training makes them more dangerous or increases the number of negligent discharges or mass shootings or homicide or, you know, whatever statistic you think is the thing you would have to show it, you know, you'd have to show me that data to convince me that that's the case because the data doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so if we got 24 States out there that don't require any training to carry around a gun, like you'd have some at least arbitrary evidence that suggests that people in those States are less prepared. Uh, now what is definitely true is that the more training you get, the more prepared you are and the less training you get, the less prepared you are, but there's not some magical arbitrary you know, line that you cross where you're now good to go. And that that's one of the many dangers uh, that I think you were trying to highlight, Matthew. Yeah, yeah. And um, and one more thing on the Iowa constitutional carry law that was uh, with, that was signed by the governor. It also the law also offers protection for firearm um, and ammunition manufacturers, so um, they can still be sued um, related to you know breach of contract or if they sell a defective product or something, um, but. I th- and, and I don't know if this is anticipation of 
um, the what's the uh, uh, fair business, the protections. Oh. Uh, I, I forget off the top the of my head. Act. Yeah. So basically, um, right now, you know, you hear people say, well, firearm manufacturers are the only uh, gun industry that can't be sued. Um, but that's not true. And um, and so perhaps this is kind of just bracing for that, because, um, you know, if you were able to sue, let's say, Glock, because somebody used the Glock handgun in a crime, um, that would be that's that's absolutely absurd. Right. Um, so but obviously, if Glock produces a gun that's knowing that they, they know that is dangerous and and faulty and in its design and sell it. Sure, there's suits right now for many uh, against many manufacturers like that. So um, just this that was part of that law um, in Iowa. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So good job, Iowa. Yep, yep. Yeah. Slam dunk. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Let's go to North Dakota. Does anyone live in North Dakota? That's a joke. <laughs> I know people. Live. I'm from Wyoming, so I'm, I'm allowed to make jokes like that. So North Dakota has got some legislation that is passed through the House and the Senate and is, uh, if I understand, currently awaiting the, the state governor's signature. Yes. To be passed in law. But I think odds are high on this one. Mm-hmm. So, Matthew, what do we got cracking in North Dakota? So the big one is stand your ground. So stand your ground for North, North Dakota um, the bill also, there's actually four different bills. It's house bill 1450, 1498, 1293 and 1297. I can't keep all those straight. So I'm not expecting you guys to get it, but here's the deal. Um, stand your ground law, huge, right? Like, because I believe, and you probably know this Jacob, but I think it's 38 states, maybe 39, 38 as of right now. Okay. So 38 um, states have either explicit like statutes that show, uh, I think it's maybe 30 so that have actual statutes that say, yes, we have stand your ground law. And then I believe maybe eight or nine, depending, I'm not exactly sure on the number, but um, have either implied stand your ground law through uh, case law or um, or something like that, where it's it's not written as a statute, but in the um, application of the law, there is no duty to retreat. And this is huge because the duty to retreat obviously um, makes it, it, it basically for the way I look at it. And, and this is how I think it, it, it makes sense to me is that uh, retrospectively, people are going to look and say, did you. Uh, did you have a, an opportunity to retreat or escape before using deadly force? And if you didn't, then you can't enter a claim of self-defense. And that's it's very difficult to prove a negative sometimes, right? And then um, it, it definitely introduces some aspect to the to the mind of the the person who's trying to defend themselves. Um, and so I, I don't see many instances where um, if you had a chance to um, retreat and you didn't, um, even in a case where you had a stand your ground law that, that, that the, the fact that you didn't retreat, right. Didn't factor into the reasonableness of your force, right? Like somebody's going to say, well, uh, he stood across the street and waited till the guy ran for, you know, 45 seconds to get to him before he shot him. It, to me, it, it, it 
it doesn't really matter if they're standing your ground or not, right? It's, is that reasonable? Could that person, is it reasonable that that person would have gone somewhere else or had the opportunity to, to get away from that? So I, you're going to hear and, you know, it, it's typical, um, standard ground law lets people shoot first and ask questions later. That's, that's all that you hear all the time from everybody. And it makes no sense. It's totally erroneous. And, and, and um, so, Good on uh, North Dakota for passing that bill. Um, I don't know if you want to fill in the rest of them, Jacob, or if you want me to kind yeah, of. Uh, so, that's a good summary. I mean, this is a confusing piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that a lot of people misunderstand it. I mean, the legislation is not confusing. I'm sorry. The term, the term sure. is, 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 is often confused, uh, misquoted. And, and I think the false understanding of what, what stand your ground really means is perpetuated by the me- the media. Uh, sometimes by law enforcement and even by our courts, uh, we, we have seen. So uh, we I, we have our best kind of stand your ground overview in episode 148. So if you want to go back to listen to episode 148, I think that would be valuable. But effectively, yeah, the deal is that broadly speaking, in a self-defense context, you have a legal duty to retreat from a threat if you're safely able to do so before you can use force. However, the while that broadly speaking is true, it ends up being rarely actually true because we have 38 states, as you mentioned, your state being the 38th mm-hmm. to pass a stand your ground law, some law that just that, that does nothing more than remove that duty. That's the only thing stand your ground does that says, you know, absent this law, you would have to retreat if you safely could. Now, because of this law, you don't have to. So we have 38 states where that is the case. North Dakota likely to be number 39. But of the remaining 12 states, all of them have a castle doctrine law, also a commonly misunderstood concept, which simply removes the duty to retreat when inside the home, the dwelling premise or habitation, depending on how it's worded in that particular law. So what that effectively means is that in all 50 states, there's never a duty to retreat when you're in your home. In 12 states, soon to be 11, there is a duty to retreat when outside of your home, if safely able. And in 38 states, soon to be 39, there is never a duty to retreat. Hmm. That's all this is about. And while we generally feel that it's probably uh, tactically, morally, and legally advisable to retreat if safely able, to your point, Matthew, the problem is that you know, it's pretty hard to prove what it, when, when someone can retreat and when they're safely able. And so it becomes a huge hang-up in one's defensive arguments and therefore kind of a messy operation of sorts and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so good job north dakota yeah and there's some other legislation in that um north dakota has some weird um rules as far as uh, they have a list of guns that you can uh, uh carry in a vehicle um, this expands on that list it doesn't eliminate the list which i think would have been preferable but um, and then there's some also some uh, minor stuff about clarifying where you can carry a firearm um, legally. It, there were some vague term as far as uh, in the original law that said sporting events. And this clarified it to say uh, sporting events that are basically uh, school school sporting events. So uh, like a school sanctioned uh, sporting event. So yeah, so good. All, all good legislation coming out of North Dakota there. Yes, sir. All right. Let's go to Idaho. So Idaho, speaking of which, has both stand your ground and their constitutional carry state. Uh, but Idaho's got some new stuff cracking with House Bill 286. 
Uh, what I understand is that House Bill 286 clarifies uh, or adds some more details to existing law uh, that directs dedicated funding to public shooting ranges. So this, this, this bill would support public shooting ranges by ensuring that money is properly distributed to them as it's collected by the Department of Fish and Game. And it uh, passed both the House and the Senate. And if I understand, it's still waiting on the governor to sign it. Is yes. that what you believe to be true? Yes. Uh, it, as of April 14th, um, I haven't heard anything since then, one way or the other. But if there's an update, I'll definitely. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I just found the update. I just I just did a quick search. So uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Maybe not. Maybe I'm looking at something else. Okay. Well, we'll try and update you guys if that one gets pushed through. Uh, but last last week and tell, we're still waiting on the governor's signature. Yeah, I can't believe it passed uh, the House 69 to zero and the Senate 34 to zero. So, yeah, so it would be a political suicide <laughs> if the governor didn't sign this one. Yeah. Pretty sure he's going to sign that. Or yeah. she is, Caroline Nilsson. Uh, yes, okay. Troy. He is in that general, you know, humankind men kind of reference. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there you All go. All right. Now we get to bounce over to West Virginia. So talk to us, Matthew, about this article on uh, the center square of West Virginia. Yeah, actually, Leo in the comments, he kind of teed this one up a little bit. Um, but West Virginia is removing sales tax, pass a bill that will remove uh, sales tax on small arms, handguns and things and ammunition and um, th this um, this will be directed towards um, well the, there, there's there's uh, an argument opponents of this bill are saying well this is going to affect um, the tax revenue and I had an article up here that I just missed uh, uh, it had the actual numbers um, maybe I can find it. Um, there was actual the numbers of the amount of money tax revenue that they will lose based uh, on 1. this. One point four million is what there I'm seeing go. here. Yeah. Yep, there you go. One point four million. So, um, and this would be directed um, towards, um, I believe it's, it, it, am I right? Uh, gun ranges and things like that. Is that? It's, it's, yeah, I'm looking. Is that correct? That right now. Um, I'm confusing. I might be confusing this with another bill. There's so many that I pulled up today. I don't um, see that in here. So, yeah, what I, what I gather is it says uh, House Bill 2499 establishes a tax credit for firearm and ammunition manufacturers and removes the sales tax for those items. This bill will cost the state about $1.4 million in revenue in 2022. Okay. Um, do, 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 do. Yeah, that, I don't see anything else really. Okay, I must, have that, yeah. I must have conflated or um, combined the two. Yeah. But, yeah, so – I mean, obviously, cut it, passing a bill that is going to reduce taxes is probably unheard of. <laughs> I can't think of many. And if it's pro-gun bill that does that, even crazier. So, And I can't believe this is happening in West Virginia. I'm glad, right? But West Virginia is not, right? Um, I guess, a, a very um, conservative state legislatively currently. Yeah, I don't. Right. I don't have a, much of a pulse on it. What I know is that my experience in West Virginia 
I drove through some like farm country and was like, man, mm-hmm. like, there's no one here. But I didn't <laughs> go through any of the major cities. So I don't, I know very little about West Virginia. Um, I, I do think it, yes, getting rid of sales tax on a specific type of you know, product category is pretty wild. Uh, I mean, legitimately bizarre, but super awesome. I think the, the thinking here is like, Hey, we think that these are tools that are necessary to exercise a constitutional right. And so a person should not be taxed in order to exercise that right. And so getting rid of those taxes is necessary to support someone's exercising of their rights. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty smart to me. Like, I don't know why uh, it's never occurred to me before. Maybe other states have done this and I've not noticed, but I think it's pretty solid. I think that's pretty awesome. And, And to your point, you know, collecting less in taxes is generally a pretty hard sell. <laughs> um, so I don't know, you know, what they're thinking was there, how they're going to you know, deal with the tax deficit or if they don't think it's an issue, but yeah, no longer taxed to exercise those constitutional rights in West Virginia. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to add that if I lived, you know, close to West Virginia, but not in West Virginia, I would, I would drive across the border to buy my ammo there. Sure. And not pay sales tax. You can't buy handguns in a, st- a state of non-residence. So it doesn't help me there. But I could cross the border and buy my ammo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe they will actually increase ammo sales in West Virginia, steal some of that revenue from neighboring states. Yeah. And, and they all are also um, opening up now. You can get a non-resident West Virginia uh, permit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Which is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right, now we got to bounce over to Kansas. Kansas, mm. man. Okay. So Kansas is like the heart of America, man. It's just like <laughs> they're they're, you know, red, white and blue in Kansas, let me tell you. So this says the House concurs on Senate amendments to pro-gun bills, sending them to the governor. So two bills uh, passed now through both the House and the Senate and they're heading to the uh, governor. So let's start with House Bill 2058. So it does the following things, and it's a list, so stick with me. First, it recognizes all out-of-state concealed carry permits and allows those who have been licensed to carry a firearm for self-defense to do so lawfully in Kansas. This legislation recognizes that visitors to Kansas should not be left defenseless simply by crossing a state line. So Kansas would join a large number of other states, well, at least a decent number of other states that, that, that you know, honor all permits. They're just no longer going to be, um, you know, arbitrary or, you know, have any criteria for that matter as to what other permits they're going to honor. Number two, House Bill 2058 would allow individuals who are 18 to 20 years of age to apply for a Kansas concealed carry permit. So dropping the minimum age from 21 to 18. Number three, authorizes the attorney general to issue an alternative license to carry a concealed handgun to qualified applicants during a declared state of disaster emergency. So effectively saying, hey, you know what? We we need almost like this, this temporary provisional permit ability because if something, you know, if, if there's an emergency, we don't want people to have to go, you know, jump through all the normal hoops and process and background checks. We want to provide a methodology by which a provisional permit could be issued in that in that state of disaster. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. That was weird. And last, number four, it creates a restoration of rights process for individuals to reestablish the Second Amendment right to possess a firearm upon expungement of certain convictions. So I presume it's referring to felonies specifically. 
if you have been convicted of a felony, you know, then you're you're a no go. But if if you have that felony expunged from your record, then traditionally that's pretty challenging. That's pretty difficult to uh, to get that you know that that Second Amendment right restored to you. Even though the the conviction has been expunged, getting off the naughty list relative to the background checks it tends to be very 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 challenging. And Kansas is saying, you know what, we're going to create an actual process by which this can be achieved. Um, for, for specific types of convictions. We're going to make it easier for that person to get their Second Amendment rights restored. So that's all just House Bill 2058. Yeah. It, you mentioned the restoration piece of restoring um, gun rights. I did I, I um, did a podcast interview with Derek DeBrose or DeBrossi. I'm sorry if I got your name wrong, um, but he's in Ohio and, and I, he is – big on restoration of gun rights. Um, and I didn't realize until I spoke with him just how difficult it really is for people to get um, to get their gun rights restored, even sometimes after they've been expunged or, um, you know, they, they've uh, been cleared and, and shown that it's a it's an erroneous charge or something like that. So um, that is huge. And I think that as we look at people um, and, and see, you know, that people have made mistakes and uh, if they paid their debt to society and they're restored in every other certain, every other way, um, not on parole, not on probation, paid all the restitution and everything like that. And they're restored in every other aspect as far as society goes, then um, perhaps we, we need to start looking at ways that we can restore their their rights to uh, to possess and carry a firearm. Um, obviously, you know, I'm not saying a blanket uh, restoration for everybody. I'm not saying that. So if somebody cuts that little clip out, um, but it is important. I, I truly believe that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, allowing a process by which someone can just apply mm-hmm. and potentially be successful to restore their second member rights seems like a no brainer. Like why yeah. isn't that already in place everywhere? Yeah. Why is it, virtually impossible for someone to, to try to apply to get it done. Yeah. Right. And then we have uh, house bill 2089. This is an interesting one. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've seen things like this in very many States. So house bill 2089 directs the state board of education to establish grade appropriate curriculum guidelines to teach firearm safety to K through 12 students based on the NRAs at Eagle Gun Safe Program. Now, individual school districts still have the choice whether or not they want to provide said education. Uh, that, you know, they have all the flexibility in the world. But the, the bill basically is, is forcing the state board of education to establish the, the guidelines so that an individual school could optionally, if they wanted to, uh, you know, go establish and provide that curriculum for the kids in their, in their classrooms. That, sound, that sounds pretty progressive. I, think, yeah. I love that. I think there's a lot of states that are using the Eddie Eagle program that allow it, schools that do it, et cetera. So it's not it's not unheard of by any degree, but uh, that, the, that, the, that the state would pass a law that mandates that the Board of Education create guidelines for the curriculum, that that sounds pretty strong. Yeah. So, and and, and I'm, I, I'm a huge proponent of like the – state board of education should not mandate training. They shouldn't. Man- I, I sometimes, you know, uh, when I was talking to somebody about this, uh, 
this law and they were saying, yeah, it should be mandatory. These classes should be mandatory in every, every classroom in the country. I'm not a big fan of saying anything should be mandatory. Um, you know, govern what, what's in the classroom should be, uh, specifically said, uh, what your child can and can learn through the government. I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of that. However, I do think that, you know, setting some guidelines and saying, if you're going to have a gun safety program, we want it to, to cover this material and be presented in this way and whatnot. And I think that that's smart um, because, you know, in any state, even, you know, a lot of people will talk about California as being anti-gun, right? And I lived there. I, I lived in San Diego. Um, obviously, you know, LA, Sacramento, um, Oakland, the, the, they're, they're obviously uh, not very gun friendly areas. Right. But like you get out of the city and you get out into the rural areas and it is very gun pro gun. Um, so to think that one, one key will, or, or one method fits the entire state uh, is kind of wrong. So I, I like this approach by saying, Hey, we're not going to force you to, 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 to have this, but if you do, this is what we we think that it should entail. So, I think that's 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 wise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Last, we get to go to my home state, mm. Wyoming. So, Wyoming has a couple of different bills that uh, are headed to the desk of the governor for signature. So, these are you know all signs point to these probably getting signed, but uh, just to clarify, they're not law yet. So we have Senate File 155, which provides protection for gun stores, ranges, or other entities that engage in the lawful selling or servicing of firearms, components, or accessories. So effectively, it's it kind of we we talked about this for one other state earlier. I can't remember now what it was. But but basically trying to prevent, you know, frivolous lawsuits against mm -hmm. manufacturers for making a gun that Iowa. is used. Was it Iowa? It might have been Iowa. Yeah, I think it was Iowa. Yeah, yeah but we're, we're trying to prevent you know a lawsuit against a manufacturer for making a legal product to the standard that it, to which it's supposed to be made just because it was used in a crime. Also, that same bill uh, prevents the prohibition, regulation, or seizure of a citizen's Second Amendment rights during a declared state of emergency. So it's just preemptively trying to ensure that a governing body can't uh, suspend a person's you know, Second Amendment rights because of, of a state of emergency. Okay. And then we have House Bill 116. Matthew, what is House Bill 116 got cracking? Let me pull this up. I was actually about to uh, grab our, our some information <laughs> on the next one, but I got 116 up here. Uh, it expands Wyoming's permitless carry law, which has been in effect since 2011. Um, so, all law-abiding adults, not just Wyoming residents who have res have resided in the state for at least six months, I believe this uh, lowered it from a year to six months, uh, ensures that visitors and new residents have their right to self-defense without government red tape delays. It's House yep. Bill 116. And then we have House Bill 236. Um, that's what... Um, uh, we have prohibiting financial institution and payment processors in Wyoming from discriminating against Second Amendment based organizations and business solely for their work uh, dealing with firearms, accessories and ammunition. And this I know is important to you, Jacob, not that we're based in uh, Wyoming or anything, but um, 
this is obviously something that's come up on on the radar for us as a company as well. Yep. More broadly. Yep. It does. And it's very specific just to financial institutions as a category uh, and merchant providers. So, you know, this, this prevents uh, someone, you know, you might have a company out there that has the best rates, right? Oh, they have the best rates for loan or they have the best rates for interest or they have the best rates for uh, credit card processing fees. And so I want to go get, you know, I want to go do business with them. This law would, in, at least in Wyoming, would prevent them from saying, oh, sorry, we don't work with companies in the firearm industry. You know, we, we just refuse to do business with you. They, they just, that's not uh, an option they have. They, you know, that would be considered dis, you know, illegal discrimi- just discrimination. So that's what this does. I would love to see this kind of a bill for other product categories as well, like insurance, mm-hmm. liability insurance, and other kinds of uh, company business insurance. That would be really nice. Workers comp, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, there's other business categories I'd like to see too. But anyway, at least for Wyoming, financial institutions cannot discriminate against firearm related companies. Yep. And if you're listening and you're in a state and you're like, hey, we got this bill and it's passed the house, it's going to the Senate and blah, 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 and all this and that. Um, there are, you can see, I pulled a lot of uh, bills and they, sometimes get very confusing and um, trying to keep them all straight. But we're basically in this in this episode, what I, I try um, and I'll, I'll, I just kind of reaffirm it or, or restate it here. But um, we're trying to get bills that have passed out of the House and the Senate and um, are either awaiting uh, the governor's signature or have been signed because there's a lot of things that get proposed and uh, crazy things on both sides. Right. Um, and so if we reported that the episode would be about six hours long and uh, be even more confusing than what it is now. So <laughs> that's why we might not have included something that that's in the works in your state. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, it'd be our hope that you're paying attention to what's going on in your state and that uh, if there's bills that you support, you know, that you're contacting your legislators and telling them as much or bills that you don't support that you're doing the same. Uh, but our our primary objective in our legislative update podcast episode is to discuss you know laws that have been passed or are very likely to you know be passed in, in the immediate future. Sure. Okay, so I think that that is a wrap for episode four hundred ninety nine. Guys, if you haven't already, please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast. You know, down you use the use some sort of podcast app and click subscribe so that you get automatically updated every time we release a new episode. Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to the show. And if you have any questions or comments, you can always contact us at the email address podcast at concealedcarry.com. Now, this week we do need to pull just our standard normal weekly winner and announce that. So, Matthew, who's our winner and what do they win? All right. So this week's winner is um, draw like a pro training course. All right. So uh, that's going to be either DVD or a digital download, whatever uh, you prefer. Um, The winner for that is Gregory. Last name starts with an S. So Gregory S. um, Check your email, check your spam folder. Um, A lot of email providers don't like my email, so they end up going to spam. So check that Um, next week. Um, and this is separate. Remember, guys, the, the the giveaway that Jacob's talking about is completely separate from our, our weekly giveaways. We're still doing the weekly giveaways. If you sign it up, up for that, it's not going to get you in, in the other ones. You're going to have to sign up for both of them. Um, but next week's giveaway is a SWAT T tourniquet. And uh, Brian just wrote something or did a, a, a good uh, piece on Mountain Man Medical about the SWAT T. 
Yeah, he so, loves that tourniquet. It's a great solid yep, product. Yep, yep. It's uh, got a retail value of about 18 bucks. So next week, you know, you, you have two different giveaways you need to go enter, right? Our normal weekly giveaway, which you can always find at podcasts.consultcare.com. Click on weekly giveaway. So get on it. Yes, sir. Thank you, everyone, for participating with us, both those who are here live with us and those listening to the audio podcast stream. We appreciate you all. Be safe out there. And remember to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.